0: We welcome welcome your ears. ears. We welcome welcome your ears. ears. We welcome welcome your ears. They could have said, here are a whole array of possible ways that you can help yourself be stronger through this period and Mm -hmm. not be so vulnerable. X, Y, Z, vitamin D, exercise, food. Yes, the vaccine, if it works and it comes along and you want to take it, great. That will help as well. Yada, yada, yada.
1: Working the two together, that is the definition of measured response, considering both sides and at least acknowledging and then putting it forward and as you say it's not to poo-poo anything that's happening from the medical side in fact the two can work together it's about the complete denial of one side against the other you're listening to the sill podcast with peter noche and harry posner episode 173 ph factor measured response no one to hold them no one to fold them come on in have a seat join the conversation
0: well it's march 15th it's the ides of march and we woke up this morning to this beautiful snowfall no wind really this beautiful big flakes falling down Mm. and they've proceeded to fall the entire day wet big flakes snow and consequently, the roads are really bad, really slick, with accidents on our street. So, we ventured out and then turned back, going, this is too dangerous. Thus, remote it is today.
1: I think this is only the third time we've done it in 173 episodes.
0: Yep, I know. We're virgins. We're remote virgins, <laughs> practically.
1: <laughs> Today's topic is measured response. Yep. There's a part two to this title, Measured Response... Know when to hold them, know when to fold them. A term you hear quite a bit in the gambling casinos, uh, Texas hold'em, of course, and we use that phrase when players are playing, knowing when to bet on cards and knowing when to fold their cards, which in itself is a measured response. The player is calculating the value of staying in a game and betting or retreating. Much like we do in relationships and much like we do in general communications. You weigh the factors at hand and then you decide how you're going to deal with the problem or the issue that you're dealing with.
0: So it's a kind of strategic thinking, if we could put it that way. You're calculating your next move. And the response to that, and then the move after that, and the response to that. Kind of like a chess game where you're imagining the moves. Mm -hmm. And so your strategy might be to move the opponent into a certain part of the board and then strike on the opposite side or something like that. But it's measured and it's calculated and it's thought through before you start on the road.
1: Basically, it's careful and very deliberate. The circumstances dictate the whole procedure.
0: Yeah. So, the big example I would like to talk about for a bit, and then we can move on to something else, is the recent Freedom Convoy in Ottawa. And what happened there Mm -hmm. in that situation in terms of measured response and knowing when to fold them, when to hold them, etc. So, these folks had a certain mandate that they carried with them across the country, which was to have the government end all of the COVID mandates, across the board, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. It started with ending the trucker vaccine mandates, but it kind of broadened out into end all the mandates for everyone, not just for the truckers. And so they put themselves in Ottawa, they ensconced themselves across from the parliament buildings and uh, a week went by and uh, there was back and forth. The government was accusing them of white supremacy and foreign influence and all that stuff. And then another week went by and it was back and forth. And now they were occupiers, you see. They were called occupiers because they're there for two weeks and they're not leaving. Their whole point was we're not leaving until change happens, right? Mm -hmm. So what happened was there was a tipping point beyond which a protest did actually become an occupation, technically. Mm -hmm. You know, if people take a piece of land and don't leave it, that's an occupation. I think that's fair to say. And the calm and measured response from the convoy organizers might have been to say to one another after three weeks, (laughs) we've made our point and any longer than that is going to be deleterious to our cause. Mm -hmm. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. So the best thing to do before anything serious happens is to get our asses out of here and claim victory in a way. We've changed public opinion. We've put the spotlight on it, et cetera, et cetera, and live to fight another day. But they didn't do that. They overstayed their welcome, so to speak. Hmm. And then it became very tense. And the government, as we know, enacted the Emergency Act and threw the riot police at them. So they didn't know when to fold them in a way. Mm -hmm. It was all about hold the line, hold the line. That was the catch-all phrase. But they didn't know when to say, okay, let's back off. It's a retreat, but it's not the end of the war. It's a battle that we're conceding, but we had some victories in that battle and all is good. So, we'll carry on. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen. Now, we're discussing
1: that perhaps it would have been advantageous to cease the occupation, as you stated, and retreat in a so-called winning position. However, the determinant time would be left up to discussion at this point.
0: Well, that's it. But you'd have to, if you're a part of the convoy, you'd have to be listening in to public opinion, to how the politicians were approaching the protest and the turning and the changing and the tone. Hmm. And if you're clever enough, you can just find that sweet spot where you go, we pull out now before the heavy stuff happens. And then we can say this has been a peaceful protest all the way through no issues. And it's there's a kind of victory in that. And they didn't do that. They just ended up waiting and waiting and waiting too long, I think. And as I say, overstep their stay, their welcome. And it didn't turn out very well, ultimately, for the convoy, I don't think. Right. I mean, it's still going. And they did inspire convoys all around the world, including in the U.S. So, there's victory there that they should have been able to see, in a way, mm-hmm. and, and then act accordingly. So, knowing when to fold them, in that case, would have been critical.
1: And in this case, you could also bring it to the other side, because regardless of what they did, there was also something happening on the exact opposite side of the fence. So, the measured response could apply to both sides, actually.
0: Sure. Well, our prime minister had no measured response particularly at all. It was more reactionary response, emotional almost, biblical almost, Mm -hmm. (laughs) proclaiming that these people were X, Y, and Z, Nazis, or whatever he was calling them, and not really focusing on any nuances to their communication, to their message, not even thinking that he could communicate with them or they with him in any meaningful way. Uh, Not even thinking about a mediator might have been helpful. A thoughtful person might say, let's bring in a mediator, at least, and that way you can talk in some ways to each other and mm-hmm. come to some kind of agreement or understanding. That's what unions do when they're in conflict with their companies, et cetera. So, it could have happened. There could have been a measured response. And instead, he invoked the Emergencies Act at a certain point, essentially declaring war on his own citizens. And that didn't look very good around the world. Well, essentially,
1: uh, essentially what happened there, you could say, was the response proportionate to the action. And typically, yeah, yeah. that's what distinguishes... Measured response usually is what are you looking at, and is your reply to it measured in the sense of being proportionate to? Do you do a life sentence for stealing a loaf of bread, or do mm-hmm, you do six mm-hmm. months on community help?
0: Right. And that way of looking at things certainly applies to the last two years in the responses to COVID. Mm-hmm. Were they measured? Were they measured? And at first, it seemed that they were because this was something that we felt like we didn't know much about. It seemed very dangerous and it was spreading very quickly. And so, the lockdown response seemed, in a sense, measured at the time, which is why most people kind of went along with it and said, yeah, okay, we get that. We'll do that. We'll go along with that and we'll flatten the curve, as they said, right? Mm-hmm. But then after the curve was flattened, that response didn't change as the circumstances changed. It essentially remained the same for almost two years now. So not really measured at a certain point, but locked in. Mm -hmm. And I think that was problematic for our culture and society. And lots of harm was done. And the postmortem will tell the tale on that.
1: One of the key things is to really listen to understand, not listen to reply.
0: Well, exactly. Exactly. We haven't had much of that uh, (laughs) at all, right? But you need empathy for measured response. You need empathy. Even with knowing when to fold them, when to hold them, you need to know what the circumstances are in a very clear-headed way to know when it's time to step back, step out of the argument, step out of the equation. Whether you're a convoy or a person, you have to know when to do that.
1: Do you know what the term is in gambling? For what? Stepping back? Folding? For considering a situation before you act. It's called expected value. Ah, very so, interesting. Yeah. I mean, the term can be used to everyday events. It can be used even in discourse between individuals, at company meetings, uh, all disputes, essentially unions and mediators. What they're doing is they're considering an expected value.
0: Yeah, another term for it might be risk-benefit analysis.
1: Yes, exactly. And the expected value, there are numerical applications in gambling situations as well, ratios, percentages, possibilities, etc. But you're basically doing the same thing when you're having a, a difference of opinion with your spouse, your friends, your children. You're evaluating The value of your response. In other words, what's it going to cost? Where's the compromise? And that not only requires empathy, it also reduces antagonism. It shows more of a willingness to consider, to discuss, which also includes patience. Mm -hmm. And these are the elements that are pulled together to reduce emotional charge, which is really what we're talking about here.
0: Yeah. And one of the ways of doing that, and you've mentioned this before, is understanding the value of stepping out, stepping back, being silent. The value of silence can't be understated in that regard. In order to have a measured response, you have to take the time to think about your response. And that you can think about that in silence, not within the conversation so much, Mm -hmm. but on your own time, be in your own silence and get your thoughts clear, etc., etc. So,
1: yeah, stepping back. Stepping back and stepping back also, there's a physical element to it, too. When things get heated, we tend to close in on each other. Right. And that exacerbates often a situation as well. When you talked about silence, well, silence also creates space. Mm -hmm. gives both sides room to reflect and react less. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, physical space. Like here we are now in the early stages of a war, between Russia and the Ukraine and potentially Europe, the rest of Europe, right? Mm
1: -hmm. So here
0: is a case where physical encroachment has been the choice rather than a measured response, which might be negotiation, which might be going to the United Nations and trying to work through those means. But Putin has decided none of that makes any sense and he's throwing his whole hand in all of his chips seem to be pushed to the center of the table. And he's physically trying to intimidate and push Ukraine into submission.
1: It won't work. No, I think he's lost that almost from day one. However, even that whole situation arose from a premise of space being like a shield, the space that divides the east and the west. Ukraine is sort of the last bastion that divides the two. And Mm -hmm. losing that particular ground has a psychological and a physical element to it, depending on which side you're on and how you view it.
0: Yeah, I think that those of us in the West don't have a really good sense for the Russian spirit, the way the Russian bear behaves. I think we've taken them for granted for quite a long time in a way as being over there and not really relevant at this point. I don't think we understand the Russian soul very well to understand why they would have done this thing at this point in time. So there's stuff for us to learn as well
1: on this side. 100%. And that applies to China as well. Sure. Oh, yeah. Especially China. Very similar situations. And talk about measured response. Well, unmeasured response can be fatal to the globe. Yes, of course. Well, we've
0: seen what unmeasured response has done to the globe in the 20th century especially. So, there's a great concern. There's a recklessness coming out of the Russian spirit right now that could endanger all of Europe and who knows how far this could go, right? It's a very scary moment in history. Mm -hmm. And it's strange how quickly the COVID thing has sort of been nipped in the bud, almost been chopped off Mm -hmm. by this other occurrence around the world that in a way it could be much more meaningful than what COVID has been for the world.
1: However, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've noticed, as soon as there's a little bit of a let up, whether it's a promise of a further negotiation or oil prices coming down, it's almost like it needs to be immediately replaced with the COVID thing again. Now we've got another variant, we have a serious condition so-called happening in the East. They cannot leave any space. It has to be constantly filled. And when one lets up, the other one fills in.
0: Well, that's where the media come in again. The media have been in question now for the last two years in terms of their conveyance of information to the public from the government. Mm -hmm. They've become a kind of mouthpiece of the government and that have gotten a lot of criticism for that. But their response, has it been measured? I wonder, because they've gone along with the hysteria and the fear-mongering for two years. Very rarely have we seen in the mainstream or legacy media as it's known, a measured thought out article that takes into account all sides of the equation from people who dissent from the mainstream narrative to mm-hmm. those who are deeply connected to it and support it. That debate never really happened in a measured and balanced way in the media. And that's been a tragedy.
1: If it had happened, we wouldn't have the stalemates and the level of division that we have. There would have still been challenges. There still would have been things to rectify or discuss or implement. However, the divisiveness has been increased by the fact that there has been a lack of measured response in many instances. Absolutely.
0: So we've had this divide happen because of that, because people have not taken the time to be silent, to think through their thoughts, to be empathetic to the other side, the other person's viewpoint. Because the other person is not just their viewpoint. The other person is their whole life, is Mm -hmm. their upbringing. What happened to them as a child might be deeply affecting the way they communicate with you. So we have to find our humanity again and be kind to each other and not play brinkmanship and play games and that sort of thing. Mm
1: -hmm. We have to be
0: honest and forthright and sensitive to each other's feelings and thoughts as well.
1: In COVID, there's another area I think that's a very critical area when it comes to measured response, and that's the way we all individually and socially view medical treatments. In terms of the measured response to medical treatments, those people who believe in a more holistic way of living, those people who decide definitively to Western medicine, et cetera, those that do a bit of both. Where we're at right now, it's definitely one-sided. It's not a measured response. It's a very one-sided response.
0: Yeah, it's a pharmacological response primarily, Mm -hmm. which the government has taken as their strategy. But as you say, it didn't take into account our natural immunity. It didn't take into account sort of natural ways of bolstering our immune system, which would have helped to defend against getting ill from Mm COVID-19. None of that was really presented in a balanced fashion. They could have done that. They could have said, here are a whole array of possible ways that you can help yourself be stronger through this period Mm -hmm. and not be so vulnerable. X, Y, Z, vitamin D, exercise, food. Yes, the vaccine, if it works and it comes along and you want to take it, great. That will help as well. Yada, yada, yada.
1: Working the two together, that is the definition of measured response, considering both sides and at least acknowledging and then putting it forward. And as you say, it's not to poo-poo anything that's happening from the medical side. In fact, the two can work together. It's about the complete denial of one side against the other.
0: Yeah, and it's hard when you're the one who's holding the hand. Like, let's say you're the government and you got your narrative in place and you're pushing the vaccines and all of that. And along come these people who have credibility in the scientific world who are saying, this is completely wrong. You're going to be murdering people with these vaccines, etc. It's very difficult for a mainstream organization when it's being criticized To have a measured and thoughtful and empathetic response, they tend to be reactive, which is what happened. And censorship happened and accusations of being covid and renegade doctors and all of these terms Mm -hmm. that really made the situation worse psychologically for the population and created more anxiety than needed to happen.
1: Well, you made it happen by not allowing the original method of balancing both sides to begin with. So, what happens is like in any argument between people, as soon as one begins to attack excessively, the other person tends to respond to the attack rather than to the element of discussion or coming to some kind of an agreement on what's being said because now it becomes a battle of will. And the same thing is happening to us socially. If one side taunts the other by suggesting that they're either stupid or they're conspiracy theorists or whatever, the other side is no longer going to use soft terminology either, at least not initially, because they're reacting to the way that they're being treated. So one might say we should look at this because the tests indicate that there could be problems here, that we may be endangering lives. Or we may be not considering certain individuals as opposed to saying, you're killing people with these vaccines. Even if you are. Well, (laughs) yes, but that's my whole point. My whole point is that both sides are doing this. Yes. Right? I mean, there's action, reaction, action, reaction, reaction, action. It's not about pulling back and saying, you may be feeling as strongly as I feel on the opposite side. Therefore- Mm -hmm. Your consideration is as important as mine. If we begin from that point, then you can perhaps solve a problem or at least make it a livable situation, whereas the other way, it never ends well.
0: Right. Yeah. So this stepping back, what it can do also is we step back and then we can reflect upon our habits our communication habits, because when I am attacked or when you're attacked, we tend to respond in the same way every time we're attacked. We have habits in the way we respond to the world and to each other. And if we can become aware of those habits, if every time somebody attacks me, I lash out and attack them back, that's a habit. And I need to be aware of that so that if I want to have a measured response, I have to put a stop to that habit. And find a fresh and creative way of responding in a way that isn't just mindless and automatic.
1: Exactly. But- which is, as you say, the natural way we run. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We are emotionally based decision makers. Even though we think that we're doing things rationally, it's been proven over and over again that human beings in general decide with their emotions.
0: Yeah. So, for example, in relationship communication, when arguments happen, one or the other of the partners has to make a decision at a certain point as to whether they're going to be the one to back off and say, let's just stop, let's cool our jets and we'll come back, talk about it later, just know that I love you and that blah, 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 right? Right. But that has to happen. Or the argument and the relationship will deteriorate. One or the other, both of them at some point have to say, you know, what's more important is that we love each other than winning this argument. Mm -hmm. That we love each other is vastly more important than winning this argument. So, all through these last two years, we have seen people come up and saying, folks, come on, we need to love re-establish our love for each other as human beings, or else this is going to be very, very bad for us societally. Love is important. And, you know, love is a very manby-pamby word that people throw around, but in some ways, it has come to the forefront as being critical now for our sanity and our evolution out of this period of chaos and turmoil and plague and war, Mm -hmm. right? We've got to refine that love for one another, that empathy, that sensitivity to... This mystery of being alive, right? Because I'm a mystery and you're a mystery, Peter. Mm -hmm. And everyone else that we meet are mysteries.
1: You talked about love. And let's talk about love specifically in an intimate relationship or a friendship. When you're discussing that, you're discussing it on the assumption that both sides understand that that's what's going on. Part of the problem with personal confrontations, even in work-related situations and so on, is that you interpret certain behavior or certain words, certain expressions with automatically saying in your mind, if a person loved me, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, right? sure. Or in my books, a love does not include that. Mm -hmm. So on top of one person having to back off, you may have also an added element which is not being discussed at all. And that's how those individuals view love and what it means. For some people, very practical things take on monumental emotional weight. It may not be a simple thing of, look, I'm tired, whatever. In their mind, it might be, if you love me, you wouldn't say or do that.
0: You would have taken out the garbage.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of making a point here that sometimes it's complicated enough as it is, but it becomes more complicated because oftentimes even the person retreating, even if they're the one to initiate the retreat, it still may be more difficult for the other party to kind of absorb that in the moment in the sense that they may think, that the action is still unforgivable from a love perspective, if you know what I'm saying.
0: Can you present a kind of example that illustrates that?
1: Yeah. Let's say you're having a discussion with your spouse and you say something to your spouse, which can be deemed derogatory or an emotional outburst. You're tired, whatever. Let's use that garbage one that you just described.
0: Okay. You don't take the garbage out enough. (laughs) <laughs> right. Oh, how's that? Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Okay.
1: So, you're told once, twice, three times, and then maybe the third or fourth time, you just react because you say, you know I'm going to take out the garbage. How significant is that, that we're going to be arguing about this? And you may overdo your communication. In other words, you may be so fed up that you raise your voice, for example. Okay? Okay. If I deem the raising of a voice as something that it shows that you don't love me, Even you backing off, it's a little bit more difficult for me to meet you halfway because you've raised your voice. And to me, once you raise your voice, that means that you don't necessarily love me the way I think you should love me. Do you see what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, sure. I'm
1: exaggerating to make a point, Mm -hmm. but some people are more pragmatic about things and some people are not, right? Mm -hmm. They they view, for example, if you don't bring a flower to one person, they'll go, "Ah, I'm a little disappointed, but it's not the end of the world. To another person, you forgot my birthday. If you love me, you'd never forget my birthday.
0: Sure. You're really kind of talking about the difference between response and reaction in a certain
1: way, right? Yes, because it's not just a rational process that you can say, let's both meet halfway. You have to almost have the same kind of understanding about what those things mean. And it's the same thing in international disputes, all the things we discussed, war, COVID, all of that. It's how are you interpreting that behavior? Is it striking through your heart or is it just annoying you? Sure. So when you step back and take that silent moment
0: for your measured response, you need to assess, am I being reactive or am I being responsive? And that will determine how you proceed absolutely if if I know that I'm being reactive and I realize that maybe I can back off and say I'm too reactive right now it's hard for me to respond to you empathetically so I'm going to back off and then I'll come back into the room or something I need 10 minutes I need to go out for a smoke whatever to cool down and then think about what I really want to say and the other thing too is that inevitably in an argument about the garbage it's never about the garbage. It's always about something else, and the garbage is just a catalyst to get uh, it going.
1: And you're much closer to a measured response if both parties can acknowledge that. Sure, of course. And yes. it's rarely the same because we all have different time spans as well. For you, five minutes might be enough. Yeah. Let's put it behind yeah. us and move on. Another person yeah. may take hours to reach that.
0: Right. Sometimes the answer to that kind of situation is one party simply goes up to the other party and hugs them or kisses them and says, I love you. That's all it would take sometimes to diffuse that moment or that argument. I've personally experienced that numerous times. And even if there are aspects to the argument that linger, that gesture of affection and love, it goes a long way to reducing the tension and anxiety that happens in these arguments with one's partner.
1: It's very true, but it's not so easy to do in practice depending on the situation that you're in, how long the issues come up, and whether it's the same issues occurring again and again. The Mm. short answer, though, is true. Uh, Regardless of the situation, I believe that everyone, on some level, the question is the degree, benefits by counting to 10. (laughs)
0: the (laughs) old counting to 10 technique
1: (laughs) it sounds trite (laughs) but speaking for myself it works the point to all of this is whether you're talking about covid convoys wars at some point one party generally has to make a decision to be the better man or the better woman And know when to hold them and know when to
0: fold them, like the singer who wrote that song, right? Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers, yes, for those young people who have no idea what we're talking about.
1: Well, let's close this by simplifying what we're talking about. The phrase, know when to hold them, know when to fold them is basically know your limits, know how many buttons Mm -hmm. you can push and when to retreat. It's a constant calculation because... Every circumstance is different, and every circumstance requires different input and different energy. Not every situation is as easy to reach a point of measured response. Yeah, and
0: to realize that each situation is a kind of opportunity for magic, the magic of something creative happening in that moment, the magic of connection and love coming through again and achieving its ascendancy where it belongs. Mm -hmm. All of that needs to happen. So, yes, know when to hold them, no when to fold them. And like the Buddhists say, just, you know, be mindful enough in each moment and not to take for granted anything about the world or other people, but to try to listen and connect in a positive way. I think that's the best we can offer.
1: And the listening is a big one. As we said earlier, listening to understand versus listening to reply kind of idea.
0: Yeah, I and know. I think we understand a bit more what deep listening is. That sense of listening underneath the argument to the tone, to the feeling, to the other person's soul and how hurting are they? And maybe we have to be more gentle in this instance and be measured. So that's what we're talking about here is being sensitive, finding our sensitivities again, because we've lost that in the last couple of years. We have to re our care for each other.
1: It's almost like we have to measure someone else's temperature.
0: Exactly. Good. I like that. Let's end on that one. That's nice.
1: Harry, I think we've managed to pull out this remote. Is it still snowing where you are? It's still coming down like Christmas. It's incredible. And you believe that tomorrow will win for like plus 10 degrees Celsius and all this will be gone tomorrow?
0: Well, spring is sprunging and I'm thrilled to pieces that the warm weather is on its way. We need it. We really need the uh, relief, don't we?
1: Yes, no measured response to whether we want the full thing.
0: Damn right. <laughs> and ciao, Peter.
1: Ciao, Harry. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.
0: Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.